0: China is still pursuing zero COVID and the global economy might pay the price. Certainly equity markets are less optimistic. Bond yields are falling and so is oil and iron ore and the Aussie dollar. But how much is China and how much of the risk concerns are around the Fed with a front end loading of interest rates now the assumed path forwards? And what about inflation? We might find out how much is hitting Australia this week ahead of the rba next week and elon musk sounds like he will own twitter does that mean that mr trump character will be back on soon in time for the midterms it's tuesday 26th of april 2022 it's the morning call from nab good morning the U.S. dollar keeps rising. The DXY index is up half a percent since yesterday, over one percent higher than a week ago. It's pretty much where it was briefly in late 2016. Before that, we are at levels that we haven't seen for 20 years. Uh, we've seen the Aussie dollar one percent down this morning. The euro 0.7 percent off. The pound 0.8 percent lower. The Aussie is now around 71.7 U.S. cents, below 71.4 earlier in the session. And the risk sentiment, which is pulling the Aussie down, was doing the same for equities. Shares were down from. Most of the session in the united states but came back strongly at close with the s&p 500 up 0.3 percent the dow which was down half percent actually closed 0.7 percent up the nasdaq up 1.2 percent twitter had gained more than five percent before trading halted and it's now seems the board there has accepted uh, elon musk's offer so if you want to know the price of free speech it's $44 billion, apparently. Uh, the biggest falls in shares have been in Europe. The Macron win hasn't held the Cat Caron, which is down 2%. The Euro stock's 50 down 2.1%. The FTSE 100 down 1.9%. And we're back to having falling shares along, uh, with falling bond yields. German bunds down 13 basis points this morning. 10 year gilts in the UK down 12. Two years in the UK are down almost 16. In the US, two and 10 year treasuries are down nine basis points and 10 years are at 2.8% and big falls in oil. Uh, Brent is down 3.6%. Actually, it's quite a big, a uh, bit of a pickup there because it was down well over 5% earlier in the session and uh, now a bit below $103. WTI has dipped below 100 with a 2.9% fall. Again, that's after quite a bit of a rebound. And Taylor Nugent joins me from NAB in Melbourne this morning. So the Aussie dollar, Taylor, is pretty much back where it was at the start of the Ukraine invasion when higher commodity prices seemed to sort of offset risk concerns. Now we're seeing commodity prices down, particularly oil, but iron ore is also well down. Uh, Because uh, a a chunk of this is the the demand from China, isn't it? This, This lockdown issue isn't going away. In fact, it seems to be getting worse with Beijing ready to go into lockdown now.
1: That's right, Phil. Yeah, so the, the kind of the, the risk off dynamic has certainly seemed to be in place since since late last week, um, with kind of equity markets seeming to belatedly get the memo that the Fed is is committed to to moving rates higher towards neutral by by the end of the year, and they've kind of just been a, a grind lower since then, with with the, the China um, potential lockdown news um, really adding to to that theme and kind of broadening um, broadening the sell off. Um, as as you mentioned, it's kind of stabilized a little bit recently with um, some of the losses paired in in the US in the last couple of hours. Um, but certainly through um, through Asia and through Europe, there was continued sell off in equities, and the um, the Aussie certainly hasn't hasn't benefited in that environment with um, with the the dollar and the yen both higher and and. Um, yields falling amid some of that safe haven demand. But
0: the, the question about the lockdown is how long is it going to go on for? And you know what's the what's the answer? Uh, and uh, what's the damage going to be done before they see some way out? Because, like Shanghai, reported 39 deaths from COVID on Saturday. Uh, the average age just under 80 in a city of 26 million. The UK has a population two and a half times that with almost six times as many deaths with no lockdowns. The, the economy, you know, trying to get back on its feet. Uh, so, you know, if they keep on doing this, what's the impact going to be on the global economy and on the uh, the Chinese economy? So we've seen this big fall in the wine, of course. And we had the People's Bank of China quickly stepping in uh, to, when they saw it falling one percent, uh, the lowest it's been since the pandemic. So they've had to act. Uh, so they're, they're acting to try and save the one, but I'm not sure what they're doing to the Chinese economy in the process.
1: That's that's very much the, the key question. So, yeah, case numbers were, were not particularly high recently in Beijing. Just 41 cases were, were recorded over the weekend. But the thing that really seems mm. to have got people spooked is officials saying that there was evidence of, of community spread um, in Beijing and several neighbourhoods there were were sent into lockdown. And so the, the risks of that... Um, kind of broadening into a, a Shanghai style lockdown with with pretty meaningful implications for for Chinese economic activity and, and global supply chains more more broadly is is certainly there. Um, you saw that in the in the market reaction with with Chinese equities down around five percent. Um, and then in continued weakening in the in the yuan as well with as you say, the PBOC. Suggesting that um, they potentially a little bit uncomfortable with the pace of that depreciation um, and moving to to cut the FX reserve ratio to to add a little bit of um, dollar liquidity and ease some of that depreciation pressure on on the yuan after it um, briefly pushed above six point six for the first time since November twenty
0: twenty. So how much of what we've seen on equity markets uh, in the US and Europe? Well, I guess it might be very different reasons to as to why they're behaving. So let's just focus on the US for now. Equities were down a lot today they have bounced back now but how much of that was because of the concerns over china that's obviously not gone away and how much of it is uh, concerns about the the fed just uh, pushing interest rates that much higher because of course last week was the first time i heard anyone mention the idea of 75 basis points now some people are saying well actually it's going to be two in quick succession
1: yeah, yeah. So that's the. It was very much the theme, kind of late, late last week, um, as um, yeah, equity markets started to started to fall off, even as even as the kind of relentless rise in yields in the US took a bit of a pause. Um, just kind of. As those themes push through, as you say, kind of was 75 becoming the new 50 basis points, with kind of um, markets toying with the idea of um, even larger rate hikes. Um, it seems some comments from from mester have seemed to um, suggest that um, they at least favour a, a more a more gradual and, and methodical process, and so 75 basis point hikes certainly don't seem to be um, the, the most likely path forward um, in the near term. But um, Powell on um, at the IMF late last week. Well, did um, kind of fall in line with the with the recent comments, kind of shoring up um, and endorsing those recent recent comments around fifty basis points at at least the next meeting being fairly likely. Um, And then, yeah, in in that context, um, yeah, equities lower and and um, the the VIX spiking higher and and a kind of yeah normal kind of fairly textbook risk off um, response in. Um, on the back of that which kind of as i mentioned earlier just, just kind of compounded by the the china fears over over the weekend
0: and then the war of course you know something else that's not going away putin is pushing for some sort of victory um uh, for early may um but you know fighting continues uh, the, the you know the ukrainians aren't going to give up clearly there's talk now about whether you know europe does more uh, there's discussions going on but you know what can they do i mean it's so far sanctions if they are having an impact it's not enough really to make any difference not fast enough to make any difference anyway if europe stops buying oil then that'll presumably push up the price of oil which is going to benefit russia unless everyone on the planet stops buying it we know that's not going to happen but there is some talk that maybe europe puts money into some sort of escrow account uh, until putin pulls out of ukraine i can't really see that necessarily working but i mean I guess the question is our market's just going to as so often happens you know they react to the beginning of a war and then things settle down even though the war is still going on
1: yeah as you say the difficult difficult balance being tread by by EU policymakers. so the um, the Bundesbank certainly is not not optimistic about the the ability of the German economy to, to cope with a a sharp um, a sharp ban on, on energy imports from from Russia um, so they had some research out on friday suggesting that um output would be five percent lower than otherwise if um if there was that kind of complete ban on on russian gas imports um and so certainly that's kind of adding to that um that tension between how much can can the european economy really really sustain um how much? How much more action in, in that space can can the European economy sustain, and how much benefit will it actually have in in the situation on the ground with with Putin kind of refocusing towards the the um, east of Ukraine now as well?
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, five percent. You know, some might say, well, five percent is acceptable if it has a much much bigger impact on uh, on Russia. The question is, what impact is it going to have on Russia? And yet, the uh, the and IFO business climate picked up a little, didn't it? Then and PMIs as well. Across the euro area that we saw at the end of last week, okay in services in Germany and across the across Europe, manufacturing is down a little, but still well over fifty. So we are still very much—I mean, we're coming from a low base, obviously coming out of COVID, but still very much an expansionary territory.
1: Yeah, certainly those um, those PMIs late last week, and then the IFO in Germany, kind of um, suggesting a, a similar thing, all a little bit better than expected, and kind of painting a a picture of of resilience in in the European economy through through Q one. Um, and so, yeah, together, potentially signaling a little bit of upside risk for the um, the first quarter GDP numbers that are the um, preliminary estimate out later this week with the consensus now looking for a, a 0.3% quarter on quarter gain and um, with the with kind of news flow recently, potentially a, a little bit of upside to that, but certainly in an in the context of a a number of headwinds.
0: Mm. Well, one of those headwinds would have been the Marine Le Pen, uh, but she didn't win in France over the weekend. Macron won, but I tell you 58 to 42, not a massive victory compared to where it was last time, which obviously shows the divisions that exist in Europe. Um, Probably why we saw the cat car lose 2.5% in the first few hours on Monday morning. But that is another sign, isn't it? That Europe is a bit of a riskier investment these days, not only because of the war, you know, but there's also a bit of political uncertainty there as well, which is uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on. Uh, and the UK. So, I mean, uh, we, Andrew Bailey really is talking about trending a fine line. Uh, you know, he's really got a problem there, hasn't he? As he was talking about on Friday, you know, that, uh, weighing up the, the risk of recession in the UK, uh, versus tackling inflation, not an easy job for him.
1: Certainly, yes. I kind of mentioned the, mentioned the challenge that, um, that Europe and, and the, um, ECB is facing. And certainly the UK is seeing that in, even more acute terms. So Bailey kind of set out the, set out the challenge, um, at, at the end of last week, talking about that fine line balancing the, the hit to real incomes that are coming from the energy price shock with, with the need to um, to get inflation under control. And then you kind of saw that sentiment vindicated in the in the data flow um, in, in the UK with retail sales much weaker than expected. Um, coming in at minus one point four percent in March Again, expectations, against expectations for a fall of just zero point three percent. And you're also seeing all of the all of the um, kind of themes that we've been talking about in terms of those higher energy prices and the hit that's having to consumers come through in the consumer confidence numbers as well, which plunged seven points to to minus thirty eight, um, which is the lowest they've been since the since the minus thirty nine level that was plumbed during the GFC. So certainly. Um, some of that hit to to activity and consumer spending seems to be appearing in the data.
0: Well, a bit of data around today, isn't it, we get uh, for the US durable goods orders, consumer confidence numbers, new home sales, all pretty important. But later on in the week, the GDP numbers very important obviously and uh, perhaps equally as important uh, right now the employment cost index as well so a lot of numbers are around for the United States yeah
1: that's right so quite a quite a lot of data this week a lot of it concentrated towards towards the back end with those activity and inflation rates out of out of the US and and Europe as well um, and then yeah that that ACI measure which kind of smooths through some of the some of the volatility from compositional changes you get in the monthly hours earnings numbers will also be closely watched
0: as well uh, australian cpi uh for q1 uh as well uh happening this week so how important is that going to be for the rba who you know could it influence them that their, their timetable? Could they make a move next week based on it?
1: It, it is a very important number, so we think that it will um, certainly surprise the RBA relative to their their February forecast. We're looking for a 1.2 percent quarter-on-quarter rise in the in the closely watched trim mean measure and and 1.7 percent quarter-on-quarter for headline, which is broadly in line with the the consensus as well. Um, for context, back in February the RBA had penciled in around a 0.8 percent quarter-on-quarter for that underlying trend mean measure, and so that would be a a meaningful surprise relative to where they were in February. Um, Worth noting, though, in the minutes, the RBA does kind of has signaled that they are kind of braced for an upside surprise relative to that earlier forecast as well, and so um, we think that it will take a a fairly big um, upside surprise to even where we are forecasting at the moment as well to get them to move in May, but it certainly can't be ruled out. Um, But, yeah, given that the RBA has... Has been kind of, you know, slowly pivoting away from its hard commitment to seeing um, actual wages growth um, high enough to support sustainably higher inflation, kind of lowering that bar a little bit, but certainly the focus on labor costs is, is still there with the, um, with the minutes of, of the April meeting being fairly clear that their plan at that stage at least was to wait for um that their kind of current assessment of the labor market and, and the feed through to labor costs to be confirmed in that data that comes out after the may meeting before the june meeting before before seeing
0: the conditions to move well cpr is still going to be an important contributor to all of that though isn't it uh, this week so certainly yeah uh, good to talk uh, i'll be trying out a new voice today i don't like it very much i'll try and get back to the old one uh, by tomorrow uh, good to talk Nick. taylor catch you soon thanks phil and that is the morning call i'm phil dobby for nab i will be back tomorrow i promise uh, have yourself a good day thanks for listening